Hello, and welcome to Crafting a Revolution, the podcast. My name is Katie Freeman, one of the hosts of the podcast. Every Wednesday and Friday, we bring you interviews of female and non-binary makers of all kinds from all over the world. Today's guest is Kirtan Tom, who uh, is a woodworker and also recently became the owner of Allied Workshop in the LA area. So excited to have Kirtan on and um, just get to chat with her, <laughs> her journey into woodworking and then uh, becoming the owner of a workshop that offers classes and is kind of like a community working space. So really great time chatting with her. And I know you're going to enjoy this interview. Before we hop on into it with her, though, I want to give a big shout out and thanks to the patrons. <laughs> over on Patreon. So thank you so much, Lee at Lee Runyon, Annette 513 Woodworks, Katie Thompson, Women of Woodworking, Kevin Lefty's Woodshop, Christy Twisted Twine, Jeremy, Jeremy Spies, Sammy, Go Sammy Lee, Rachel, Moody Makes, Bonnie, Toolmom Bonnie, toolmomstore.com, Laura Oakley Soap Company, Brandy Studio Obey, Lee the Rainbow Carver, Ellen Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much for your continued and ongoing support, helping to produce two episodes a week every week. If you would like to get your name added to this list, you most certainly can. Just head on over to patreon.com forward slash crafting a revolution. And no matter what tier you pick, you will get your name added to the start of the list that I think at every on every podcast. So uh, with no further ado, here's Kirtan Tom, and uh, let's get into it with her. Um, okay. Well, I will say that I always like to start by asking my guests to introduce themselves. So would you do that sure. for me? So I'm Kirtan Tom and I'm a woodworker. And recently I've become the owner and director of Allied Woodshop in Los Angeles. I was um, renting space here as a woodworker for about two years before I ended up buying the shop because the previous owner, who's amazing, uh, Laura Zahn, she decided to move to Denver. <laughs> so I got the opportunity. I think she told me um, that she was moving and gonna sell the shop and about an hour later, I asked her if I could buy it. <laughs> So I'm a pretty, uh, that was just in June. Um, and right now it's October. So it's only been a few months. Um, so I'm very new to, to running a wood shop, but it's been a lot of fun. I started woodworking in Brooklyn. Um, I think it was 2015. So it really hasn't been that long. Um, but I started at another woman-owned shop called Makeville. Um, run by a really cool woman um, named Robin Mirzwa. And yeah, I think I, I took, I was working as a nanny at that point, just as something to do. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't a great fit. And I took a woodworking class and then immediately it was like, I'm, I'm done being a nanny. <laughs> But, you know, I'm going to go in this direction now. 
Um, and then I took every other class. Um, and then I became a shop monitor at Makeville and was able to gain access to the shop that way and all the equipment. Mm -hmm. um, and by becoming a monitor, just was able to immerse myself in, um, I just kind of like dove into the deep end, I guess, uh, in learning about tools and safety um, and helping other people with projects and problem solving and um, just dealing with other people in the wood shop and learning about other woodworkers. Um, and then I was deciding like, okay, this is what I really want to do. I started putting some energy into that and then I got pregnant and had a kid. <laughs> so I put things on pause and then I started going back to the wood shop when she was a few months old um, and started building up my time there again. Uh, and then we decided to move across the country uh, to Los Angeles. So that's when I found Allied and mm -hmm. it's, it's been a really wonderful place to be very supportive, um, a beautiful space. And now that I bought the shop, I think I'm here for a while. <laughs> I would hope so. Uh, <laughs> well, first of all, I want to say that's like pretty amazing that like your introduction, not only was your introduction through like a woman-owned shop, but like you found two women-owned shop spaces. No. And then like now you are the woman-owned shop space. Right. <laughs> That's, that's pretty cool. It was really cool. Um, I, I joined the uh, Women of Woodworking and Furniture Society Affinity mm -hmm. group meeting um, last month. And uh, Robin, the shop owner at Makeville, she, she was on, she, she was up on the meeting and she introduced herself like, hi, you know, mm -hmm. I'm the owner of Makeville. And then I introduced myself next. I said, I took my first class at Makeville and now I'm on Allied. And then another woman introduced herself and said, hi, I took my first class at Allied. Um, so that was, that was before I was here at the shop. Was but, that Mira by any chance? Mira Crow? I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's actually how I found out about Allied was like I had oh, cool. Mira on uh, as a podcast guest. Um, and she talked about Allied. Um, and so that's how I found out about it. <laughs> uh, and now that I've talked with you, I'll probably be reaching out to Robin of Makesville since I found yeah. out about her through here. Um, yeah, that would be cool. It's like following the chain all the way back. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I belong to the, the affinity group. Um, it's always one of those things, though. The time that it is uh, is like bedtime where I'm at for kiddos, and so right. it makes it difficult to participate um, in those meetings. But I hope to at least on occasion. Yeah. So how old are your kids? Mine are my oldest uh, is eight, and my youngest will be six in January. So uh -huh. yes. Um, I am definitely past the, the three-year-old stage, thank <laughs> goodness. <laughs> um, 
though my five-year-old is giving me a run for the money for my money at five. So, um, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, they just keep getting more and more energy and then being able to do more mm-hmm. on their own. So that's, that's a recipe for trouble. It is. And the assertion of like independence, which I both like applaud and value. Um, but you know, when they're like adamant, no, I'm not doing that. It's kind of, (laughs) that's the moment where I'm like, no, no independence. You must do, (laughs) you must put your shoes on and get dressed and we must go to school like now. Right. (laughs) You have to brush your teeth. Yes. Exactly. Um, I want to take a step back and, you know, kind of start at the beginning of like, where'd you, where'd you grow up and what were you interested in, you know, kind of in your younger years? Sure. Um, So I'm kind of back now where I grew up um, in the San Gabriel Valley um, around Los Angeles. And I always loved doing arts and crafts, those kinds of things. My parents would just buy me giant boxes full of popsicle sticks. You know? <laughs> and I would, I would start by building replicas of all the things that were pictured on the box. And my friend next door was always like, how did she do that? <laughs> well, it's right there on the box. Like there are only so many things you can do with a popsicle stick. They're all the same size. Um, and then I would just kind of get some glue and some popsicle sticks and just sit there for hours and hours and, and make things. And then, you know, if I had glitter or <laughs> paper or paint to add to it, um, all the better. And my parents, they, they saw that I was really interested in those things. They, um, they put me in art classes. They always asked what I wanted to do. Um, so from elementary school, I was always taking extra art classes somewhere else. Um, I remember taking like a, a cartooning class when I was like 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and I made this little cartoon about my dog. Um, I think it was mostly just learning how to, how to draw. Mm-hmm. Um, I took a lot of art and drawing classes. Um, growing up in Pasadena, um, I was able to take some classes when I was in high school at the, um, the art center. Mm. They had... They had a program for high school students. Um, and also I took some drawing classes and painting classes at PCC. Um, so there's always a lot of extra stuff available um, that was pretty affordable too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, when I was younger, at some point, I, I decided I wanted to be a tattoo artist um, <laughs> because just somebody, I think somebody said like, oh, you're the way you draw. It looks like tattoos. Mm. So I was like, okay, I'll just lean into that. 
Um, this is always drawing things and imagining myself as a tattoo artist. And then I got older and I realized that I don't actually want tattoos myself. <laughs> thought that would be a weird thing to be a tattooless tattoo artist. Mm -hmm. um, but then I, I went to college at uh, UC Santa Cruz. Um, I knew I wanted to study art and I ended up um, in their printmaking program. Okay. They have a really wonderful printmaking program um, where you can do woodblock prints, um, intaglio, uh, lithography, mm -hmm. um, silk screening, just like all of that. And so for a few years, I just did all of those classes and spent all of my time in the print shop. Um, and never really knew what to what I was going to do with that later so I mean I think like like a lot of people who graduate from college or who who graduate with degrees in the humanities um I was like well what now yeah, <laughs> <clears throat> yeah um so like I got a job doing customer service um just kind of got a job doing whatever. Mm -hmm. I knew that I didn't want to pursue a career as a visual artist um, because I never felt like I had the, the drive to make that happen. I wasn't the type of person who was just like bursting with images that I needed to get out there. Um, it didn't feel, it didn't feel necessary. Mm -hmm. um, but I knew that I wanted to travel and so, after college, um, I, I got married and we decided to, to go to Japan. <laughs> so yeah. taught English for four years. It was amazing. It was super fun. Um, have you ever been? I have not. I will say I actually have never left the United States. Ah. Is definitely high on the list. Um, and our, our oldest, our son, uh, just announced last week, he's like, we need to go to Canada. We touch Canada. We should go to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I am down for Canada. Let's go to Canada. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm certain at some point, uh, you know, I kind of, I don't know. I know even my youngest would be able to travel at this point, but obviously because of the pandemic, that kind of uh, puts a little hindrance on travel plans to some degree but mm -hmm. I'm sure we will travel my son wants to go to Japan as well he wants to go to Japan uh for Pokemon world ah uh, yes wife wants to go yes uh. <laughs> so yeah yeah well I mean I recommend it it was a ton of fun being able to travel in Japan and just be there um we were there for four years and it it was so much fun. It was hard to tear ourselves away, but it never really felt like real life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, um, it felt like we were doing, you know, your first, your first job out of college. Yeah. Uh, so we, we came back, um, and then we spent a year just like living with my parents, trying to figure out what to do next. Um, and then my husband decided he wanted to go to law school. So, 
um, he studied, took the LSAT and applied to schools. And then we ended up moving to New York. Okay. So that's how you ended up in Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and then the nanny, right. And then the woodworking, what, what, right. what inspired you to even take a class at uh, a woodworking class? I'm not entirely sure. So when we were, before we went to New York and I was just hanging out here trying to figure out what to do, um, I got a job doing in-home behavioral intervention therapy for um, kids with autism spectrum disorders. And um, I, I got that job. I mean, I'd done a lot of various childcare in my life, you know, a lot of babysitting and I was a summer camp counselor and stuff like that. Um, but I got the job doing behavioral intervention therapy because they were looking for somebody who could work with the Japanese family. Mm -hmm. um, and my Japanese was still pretty good at that time. It's, it's degraded a lot since, but <laughs> um, so I was able to work with the Japanese family. I actually, I didn't really even need very much Japanese. They, they spoke like way more English than I spoke Japanese, mm -hmm. but um, so I did that. And then I was trying to figure out what to do. And I was looking into carpentry programs. Um, I feel like there's one thing that stuck in my mind um, since college. And that was one of the guys who was in the printmaking program with me. Um, after graduating, he told me he was going to apprentice with his uncle who was a woodworker and that stuck with me I remember feeling extremely envious <laughs> and I didn't know why I had never done any woodworking or any construction or anything like that aside from you know whatever crafts I did um, and it just kept popping up in my head every few years. So when I was looking for something to do, I thought, you know, should I look into carpentry? Do I want to like build large scale? There's always, um, people want to do like kitchens or houses or, you know, finished carpentry type stuff. Um, but whenever I would look into those programs, I never felt like they would be very welcoming. Um, I always felt like it would be a real uphill climb mm -hmm. and I didn't feel like dealing with that. <laughs> um, and so when I was in New York, um, my, my husband was in law school. So he had like a, a built-in social group that he was always with mm -hmm. and I was kind of adrift. So I was pretty lonely um, and looking for lots of different things to do and like being, being a nanny didn't really give me people of my age to hang right. out with. <laughs> um, so, uh, I, I'm not sure how I even came across it, 
but I found the class online at Makeville and decided to sign up for the intro class. And day one was like, oh, like, this is it. <laughs> um, it. It came back to those popsicle sticks, right? And that's what it came back. back I guess to. so. <laughs> It just felt right. It felt like I understood what was happening mm -hmm. and everything just like clicked into place. And so then I was like, all of the classes <laughs> go into debt. Sure. <laughs> That's right. Hey, pod squad. So today's episode is brought to you in part by Rockport Works, which offers safety footwear that suits people's occupation and lifestyle by incorporating performance, safety, and style into every shoe and boot. Each shoe features a slip-resistant outsole and a toe cap varying between steel, alloy, and composite. Other features such as electrical hazard and shock protection are also available depending on your safety needs. Rockport Works delivers extraordinary technology-based comfort using the latest advances in construction and design to create both modern and classic shoe styles. So whatever the outfit, they've got you covered. Their goal is to support your style, to take you from work to leisure and everything in between. So try Rockport Works for yourself and change the world without changing your shoes. Now, they sent me a pair of True Strides to try on. So I have several different workbook boots that different companies have sent me to try. And so when they offered to send me something, I'm like, you know what? I want a shoe style because I have plenty of boots. So I uh, had them send me the True Stride, which is a slip-on work shoe. It consists of a moisture wicking micro mesh liner and a leather upper an EVA cushion, removable footbed, slip resistant, pro walker rubber outsole, and a side zipper for easier on and off. They offer sizes six through 12 in both medium and in both M and W widths, which I got wide because I got wide feet. Um, I will tell you for me, I ordered like the size that I typically order and they run just a little bit big on me, but you know what? I actually really love that because it's super easy on off slip on, walk into the workshop, slip off as soon as I walk in the door. And they're definitely becoming my go-to shoe. And it gets me out of using like my regular tennies out in the shop when I don't want to put on the full work boot. So definitely becoming my go-to shoe. This one comes with a steel toe cap, electrical hazard protection to protect me from electrical shock and slip resistance. And it meets all ASTM safety standards and requirements. So this shoe also features their True Tech technology, which is an extra pad found in the heel to absorb shock and add long lasting cushioning. And let me tell you, it works. My garage floor is cement. So when I spend long days out there in the shop, uh, it's my lower back is not hurting near as bad as what it was uh, without that little extra cushion. So definitely go check out Rockport Works and thank you for being a sponsor for today's episode. Um, Given that that space is, you know, is owned, ran by a woman, like what, I'm just curious what the makeup uh, was in the class and it's a big city. So that right. tends to lend to maybe a more diverse crowd. I do think that most of my classmates were men. 
Um, and the first class I ever took, the teacher was a man. Um, but everybody was very welcoming. Mm-hmm. And because I felt right away, like I just understood what was going on, mm-hmm. um, I signed up for more classes. And I think my second instructor was a woman. Um, one of my very favorite instructors, um, Kate. Oh my God. I, I keep thinking of her Instagram handle. Her, her last name is definitely not Schmate, but <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to, I'd have to think for a minute to remember what her last name is. Um, but she was just such an inviting and encouraging instructor. She was really laid back. There was no like machismo or agenda um, in her instruction style. And I remember students would ask her like, hey, can I, can I do this? What would happen if I did this? And her response was always, well, let's find out. (laughs) (laughs) It was never like, that's dumb. You can't do that because of these (laughs) reasons. Um, Like there are rules you have to follow. It was all just like, let's, let's see, you know, there's room for experimentation. Why not? Why don't we try it? Um, And I think at that time, maybe maybe about half of the instructors were women at the shop. Um, And Makeville is a, is a community wood shop model. So they have classes and then they have um, shop time that you can rent um, by the hour. So there, there are a lot of different people that come through the shop. And because of that, they have shop monitors um, who just kind of make sure that um, people are respecting the space, mm-hmm. um, things get cleaned up, you know, if, if a blade needs to get changed or right. <clears throat> stuff like that. Just take care of pretty simple shop maintenance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at that time, there were several different shop monitors and most of them were women. Okay. So there was always um, a a non-male presence Mm -hmm. in the shop. And Robin was often around working on things, developing new programs and like rearranging the shop. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of my instructors when I was getting close to like the end of their shop, ca- their, their class catalog, mm-hmm. one of my teachers was like, what are you going to do next? And I thought like, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I have to go to like a woodworking school or something. Um, and he goes, don't do that. Just, <laughs> just stay here, be a shop monitor and just practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really great advice because I, if I, if somebody had told me like, yeah, you got to go to a woodworking program, um, like a longer form thing, mm-hmm. then I probably wouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I had, like, I was married and my, my partner was in New York and couldn't right. leave. He was right. in school. And, yeah. I, I don't think I would have wanted to just leave. Mm-hmm. Um, plus it probably would have been way more expensive than we could have afforded. Yeah. Um, 
And, and so I just stuck around and I asked if I could be a shop monitor and Robin said, yes. Um, and then the shop manager at that time, like moved out of the country and I volunteered to fill all of his time slots. <laughs> um, so I didn't become the shop manager, but like I, I was monitoring during all of his time slots where he was there. Mm -hmm. So I went from being the newest shop monitor to the one who was there all the time. <laughs> I just, you know, built projects out of other people's scrap. Right. <clears throat> I was going to say, yeah, I'm sure the benefit with that is, you know, so much more shop time. Right. And yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, moving to back, you know, back to LA, like when you moved, it sounds like you went looking with intention to find kind of a similar shop space. Did you visit any others? Or I mean, like, <clears throat> you know, how'd you come across, I guess, Allied? Right. So it's funny, the woodworking community is, is fairly small. Um, and I was looking for shop space before moving. I think I was just doing some online searches for mm -hmm. places where I could um, rent a bench or I, I knew I wanted to do full time. Mm -hmm. um, and there were pretty much no options besides Allied. Like there's, um, there's Community Woodshop LA, which is uh, a little bit more like the Makeville model mm -hmm. um, where you can do hourly. They have subscriptions, but mm -hmm. I think they cap out at around 40 hours a month. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I want to do 40 hours a week. Right. Um, so I came across Allied's website and I was talking with people um, at Makeville, some of the other monitors, and one of the guys there, Noah, he, he was like, oh, well, you should check out Allied. I'm like, I, I've been looking at their website. He goes, I was benchmates with Laura Zahn up at Krenov. <laughs> so like, let me give you an introduction. Um, so I emailed with Laura back and forth. Um, and I, I moved and kind of didn't think about it for, for a couple months. Mm -hmm. um, but then I got back in touch with Laura and I even, um, she was looking for a new shop tech and I applied for that position. Um, and I didn't get it, which I am now very thankful for because <laughs> <laughs> we have the, we have the best shop tech around. Um, Martin, Martin Hernandez, he's, he's, I mean, he's just like a, like a wonderkind in, in shop stuff, in machines. <laughs> he says like, if, if he can't fix it, then it's broke, broke. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's true. So I, I didn't get the shop position. And I remember I was kind of bummed about that and like sulking a little bit, but then I realized, Oh, well, I still want to, still want to rent space. Yeah. So I did that and, uh, came here and, I think at that time, um, there had been a, like a big exodus mm -hmm. from Allied Woodshop. 
of previous members. They went off, um, a bunch of them went off and started their own shop. Um, so I was like the only one here for a couple of months, which was kind of nice because I got to get acquainted with the shop and the machines um, without feeling like anybody was watching me. Right. Yep. <laughs> and and then slowly more people started joining um, and it just became this wonderful community. Um, and Laura really became uh, a mentor for me, especially after I decided to buy the shop. Like she spent so much time <laughs> helping me and teaching me things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's how I ended up at Allied. Okay. When you said, you know, you wanted to do it full time, I mean, were you, were you making and selling pieces? Were you like, were you still like, were you running it as a business, I guess, or was it still, or was it like mainly for yourself? So I was trying to build a base of customers for, um, for selling, making and selling custom furniture. Okay. Um, pretty difficult business model (laughs) as, as many, many people have found out. Mm -hmm. Um, also I, I discovered, I don't necessarily like communicating with customers all that much. Mm -hmm. Um, some people are really great to work with and then some people are, are very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe their style or their personality just doesn't mesh with mine all that well. Yep. So that wasn't working out quite the way I had wanted it to. And I had started feeling like I needed a change, mm-hmm. like maybe, um, try to partner with somebody to increase the, like the, the scope and the volume of work that I was doing, um, but then the opportunity to buy the shop came up and it was just perfect timing. Yeah. Yeah. No, that mo- the model of doing custom furniture is just. Mm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the reality is, is you have to have people who have um, disposable income to find you. Right. To actually it- make it be something you can make a living off of. Exactly. It's not like you can, you know, you ask your friends, your non-woodworker friends, like, how much would you spend on a dining table? And they're like, I don't know, $800. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. cool, cool, cool. Um, you can't even like find that at Target. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and I'm with you. I'm not, uh, and, and unless that client is willing to be like okay this is the type of object I want and you have all creative freedom on how you make it which I I I mean I have had you know some clients do that I don't work well with others when it comes Mm -hmm. to which is kind of why we're all doing this right (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean I don't know I have had several people on the podcast who like really like their favorite part is interacting with customers and then being able to make something, you know, that that person truly loves and passes Mm -hmm. down. And I'm like, I, I, 
understand the concept. I am not that person. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just not that person. Um, Now, if I could find the people who just really enjoy what I make and buy it for what it is. um, Right. That's my ideal. (laughs) Just like have a showroom. Yep. (laughs) Make a bunch of stuff and have people come in and buy it. Yep. (laughs) That sounds Um, and it sounds easy when you say it like that, right? But yeah, exactly. It's, it's like so not. <laughs> not even find more. a space with, you know, great foot traffic that you can right. rent affordably and yes. <laughs> like and it affordably with a bunch of that you spend and, your money making without yeah. any <laughs> guarantee of income. Yes. yes. <laughs> um I also like, so I, I need, I want to dive in on this. You said within an hour of learning, you asked if you could be the one to buy it. Yeah. So you do have a spouse. Um, I'm curious. I did call him. (laughs) How that, uh, if there was any hesitation, doesn't sound like there was much hesitation if, if you were able to jump on it right away. Yeah. My partner, he is the most supportive person he's been I couldn't do this without him or without um or without my mom because she did so much childcare um last year uh, during the pandemic before mm-hmm. my daughter could go to school mm-hmm. um so she's in preschool now and that's wonderful um but like during um the first lockdown and then like the, the, the next year yeah. um, I had to figure out how to work and still have childcare mm-hmm. um, because, you know, my partner was working from home um, and had a full-time job. So he couldn't always be watching mm-hmm. our child at the same time. Um, also that was like our only real income. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I made any money for like six months, um, during the pandemic. And so my mom, she started doing a lot of the childcare for us, um, which allowed me to go back into work more and more. And, you know, we've managed to find a balance where, um, I was working enough to be really fulfilled but also still getting to spend a lot of time with my family. Mm-hmm. And um, throughout all of this, my partner was always encouraging me to, to like work as much as you want. He knows that when I'm not working, I'm really unhappy and mm-hmm. unpleasant. Um, and so he's like, work as much as you want. Like you're, you know, you're um, running your own business. Like even when it was just um, doing custom furniture, mm-hmm. Like you've got to spend time on this. Um, this is what you love to do. So he always supported me. And um, when when Laura told me that she was moving and selling the shop, I I called him immediately <laughs> and was like, "So Laura is selling the shop." And I think even before I finished my thought, even before I suggested it, he's like, "Are you going to buy it?" <laughs> And I was like, I'm thinking about it. Like, is it crazy? He's like, no, just like, okay. You know, what's, 
let's talk about the financials a little bit. Okay, you know, I think we can do that. Um, and we've been wanting to, to, to buy a house. So we're like, well, this will set this back. And like, who cares? You know, much rather own a business than a house. Mm-hmm. So let's go for it. Um, and so then I told Laura, like, can I buy the shop? Like, I'm really interested. And then I think within 24 hours, I had made an offer. Um, and so- then she told me that she accepted my offer and you know, we just moved forward from there. So I have to ask, and I think I can't remember, somebody asked me this actually, uh-huh. um, <clears throat> asked me if it was a thing to like buy somebody else's like woodworking business. And I said, yeah, it's absolutely like a thing like that you can do. Um, right. you know, it depends on what happens. So I have to, I have to ask <laughs> like ballpark, what does, <laughs> what does that cost? <laughs> um you can give like a range <laughs> right I yeah because I, I I feel like I'm, I'm now thinking about like the legality of, of yeah, the paperwork yeah. I'm pretty sure we we both signed an NDA yeah. um <laughs> so I'll say it is um I bought the shop for under under $150,000. Okay. Not as bad as what I thought. <laughs> because like, that's a lot of equipment and stuff. Um, yeah. And yeah. So space we and over like the value of the equipment. Um, so the space is, is rented. Okay. Uh, so I didn't buy, buy any real like estate. the building. Yeah. That, okay. that would have, you know, because yeah. it's a factor of, of 10. Well, yeah, I'm like, you're in LA. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's like, I'd have to spend a million dollars on a, yes. a yeah. million or 3 million yeah. Uh, yeah. on a building. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like more expensive than buying a house. Mm-hmm. So, so luckily I didn't have to do that. The space is rented, um, in this beautiful building. We're on the 10th floor. Um, which it is, is interesting. <laughs> it it is. Um, our 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 residents are are very patient with, with with getting things up to the tenth floor. Plus, um, the elevators in our building are all manual. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. So, like, you can't just use the elevator whenever you want to. Right. <laughs> there has to be a person there to operate it. Um, so we've all, we, it's, there's a bit of a learning curve in, mm-hmm. in working here, but it's totally worth it. We have amazing, like huge windows, lots of light. Um, you know, we're in downtown Los Angeles, so we've got a view. Um, yeah, there's like, also, there's there's no parking here, so you have to right. find parking, pay for parking, but that's that's just kind of what goes along with working downtown. Right. Well, and I mean, yeah, the the people who are there are going to be used to that, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. I didn't live in LA, um, didn't even live in San Diego, but I lived in northern San Diego County. Um, okay. We, my wife and I did for a, like almost five years. So, oh, yeah. Um, 
I understand a the property value <laughs> in those areas, <laughs> and and b the fact that you pay for parking everywhere. Like yes, there is no free parking, um, and that's just the expectation once you like get used to it. Which was odd getting used to coming from the Midwest, which every place has parking and it's not even yeah. a thing, you know. <laughs> um, so yeah. With the <clears throat> running the shop space, mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like obviously because you bought it, but does it, it fits the, I guess, fits the desire that you have for like working in that space, but without yeah, it, having to be reliant on selling what you make? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think you hit on it. It, it also like satisfies my, my need to organize and plan. (laughs) Like I, um, at one point I considered being, uh, an event coordinator. Um, and I even, uh, coordinated somebody's wedding. Um, I think that must've that must have been in like the year between Japan and New York. Um, and I realized like that was a lot of um, event coordination was dealing with catering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't like that. <laughs> so <laughs> like, eh, I'll get my, my organization fixed somewhere else. Um, and we have a, we have a community coordinator um, at the shop that's um that's her title but she does a lot of the um correspondence a lot of the emails back and forth between students and instructors and um job inquiries things like that so i don't think i would be able to do this job without having somebody do that because i can barely keep up with the emails that i get um just for myself yeah which is you know 10 times more emails than i was getting when i was before I ran the shop. Um, but I, I discovered that what I really love to do is program development. Mm. So I love thinking of like new classes, how we can get new people involved in teaching at the shop, um, or what kinds of things we can offer. So, um, I'm focused a lot right now on developing a whole series of classes to roll out in 2022 around um, building a home shop. Mm. So we're in LA, you know, there are tons and tons of people, but also it's a big sprawl and lots of people have garages and, mm-hmm. you know, space for a home shop. It's not like New York where, yeah, you know, this would be <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> but Yeah, so we're going to do a bunch of classes where you come in and you spend time in the shop and you build something. And the thing that you build, you can take home and you put in your home shop and it becomes a piece of equipment for you or a tool. Um, So for all those people who like want to take woodworking classes, but also want to invest in having their own workspace, Mm -hmm. um, this is kind of a two for one. You come and you do the class and you get a piece of equipment, like, you know, build a workbench, Mm -hmm. um, build a tool cabinet, build a, you know, 
uh, build a hand plane, mm -hmm. uh, make a mallet, you know, do tabletop mocks on vice, something like, that, you know, all those things. Um, and I also want to develop a whole catalog of like half day lectures that we can do um, kind of as like continuing education opportunities. Mm -hmm. So um, soon we're going to have Sarah Watlington from Offerman Woodshop come in and teach um, a model, model building class. Excellent. Yeah. So little things that you did don't take up a whole lot of equipment, um, but are really useful skills. Mm -hmm. Hey makers, today's episode is sponsored in part by toolmomstore.com. At toolmomstore.com, you can find any and all tool-based merchandise for all genders, all sizes. They've got mugs, they've got shirts, all kinds of cool stuff. I have uh, one of the shirts myself that has the uh, hashtag woodworker on it. And I also have a couple of the mugs that define what and who is a tool chick. So super excited with the merchandise that I have. I know that you will be satisfied as well. Um, and also great discount for those of you who listen to the podcast at checkout. If you enter the code maker mom, you will get a 20% discount off any of the merchandise that you buy. So that's just toolmomstore.com. All right, let's head back into the action. Yeah, just let me know when you want to fly me out for some power carving classes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if we have flying out money right now. <laughs> <laughs> but whenever you want to take a vacation, it's not good to be here. <laughs> um, we do plan on going to California. That is actually the place we have decided because uh, our oldest was born in La Jolla. Ah, um, beautiful place. Yes. And so our uh, he has decided that once the pandemic is over, um, you know, that is the first place where that will be the kids' first airplane ride and our first uh, oh. big, big trip uh, is going to be to Southern California. So I'll be in the area at some point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> great, great. Yes. <laughs> Uh, packing the tools, though, is a whole other conversation. Um, <laughs> right. So, yeah, so it's, you've got kind of like a, you guys do classes, you do um, membership. Um, yeah. You know, to the space, rented space, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> you brought up about it being like a very kind of like open and, and welcoming space i i guess i wanted to give you a little bit of time to just speak to that aspect like what does that look like when you yeah. say yeah um that's something that we're always just trying to be aware of mm -hmm. how can we do better like what opportunities are there for us to do better mm -hmm. um but i mean you look at Fine woodworking and it's all white dudes. Yep. <laughs> um, you look at uh, most like images of woodworking or you know tools, and it's it's a lot of white dudes. Um, so we do try to advertise the fact that we are a woman-owned shop, and 
when I seek out new instructors, mm-hmm. um, one of my main considerations is like, how can they add something new to, um, to our space? Not just like what their skills are. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to be the best woodworker in order to teach an intro class and help people feel safe around the machines. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can represent um, a community that hasn't traditionally been welcomed into this space, mm-hmm. then you can show other people who might be hesitant that, hey, you know, this really is a space where you can come into. Um, so just trying to get as many um, kind of non-male teachers and non-white teachers as we can has been um, a focus of mine. Um, we still do have white male teachers and um, they've been really great members of our shop, but we we guarantee that in each full group class, there's at least one woman instructor. And our, our biggest selling class, you know, the intro class, um, the one most people come through, mm-hmm. uh, our main instructor is, is this wonderful woman, um, Cleo Wild from Offerman Woodshop. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just has the most welcoming, bright personality and is, is like a wonderful ambassador to um, what the world of woodworking could be. Mm-hmm. It's more inclusive. Um, so that's what we hope to continue to work on. But there are limitations to what, like I have to always check myself, like what I can do and what's appropriate for me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like I can throw up a class and be like, um, you know, woodworking for the Latinx community and I'm going to teach it. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not part of that community. (laughs) So, Mm um, first I've got to get the people in who, who can teach a class like that, um, and are interested in it and like have the right, the right skills and the right personality, um, to, to make people feel welcome in the space. Mm-hmm. So I have to do like the, the very foundational work first before I can like get my head in the clouds and think of like this wonderful rainbow <laughs> that we can have here. <laughs> like, right. Yep. Um, I actually appreciate that you mentioned images when you were talking about um, you know, kind of representation, because <clears throat> I was actually thinking about that. I was preparing a presentation for an online festival that was for women only. Um, and as I was like, I was going through like stock images, I have like a, you know, subscription to one of those stock image sites so that mm-hmm. I don't always have to have my own content available uh, for that kind of stuff. And so I was looking for pictures of woodworkers and I only found like a single picture of a woman. Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) Like even when it was like just the hands, right? Mm -hmm. Like 
just the hands being shown, you can still tell the difference between like a man's hands and a woman's hands. And I won't even, I mean, and, and regardless of gender involved, they were, it was all white. Um, yeah. And so I even thought like, man, I feel like I could make a killing if I sold some stock imagery just <laughs> off of like people of color and women like yeah. doing trades and, and, um, you know, <laughs> woodworking and stuff like to your point, I mean, you know, like I wouldn't have even felt, and I still didn't feel super comfortable. I went in and ended up using mostly my own pictures because, you mm-hmm. know, I wasn't finding what I needed, but I'm like, especially if I was a woman of color, like, and my only option was a picture of a white woman, like woodworking, Mm -hmm. you know, how comfortable would I have felt with that? Probably not very. Um, Right. (laughs) So yeah, um, it goes beyond just, and, and it's been brought up, you know, like the furniture and cabinet making, um, you know, magazine and, and mm-hmm. publications and stuff. Um, sometimes when I'm feeling spicy, I'll comment on one of their posts, like, when are you going to have some more women or people of right. color uh, on the cover? Let's try that. Um, you know, and usually they'll respond, sure, send us some names. And then I just say, go to my podcast feed and have at it. Right. <laughs> There's like <laughs> 200 of them feel free to contact any of them. Uh Uh, But, you know, yeah, I think maybe, maybe that's our next career. We can start taking pictures of people. And um. yeah, it's funny (laughs) that you mentioned that actually. I I just remembered because of what you said, somebody did approach us with the idea, like a photographer who, who makes and sells stock imagery. Mm -hmm. Um, asked about coming in and taking photos um, <laughs> of people, you know, of diverse backgrounds yeah. Yeah. in, in, you know, working with tools and in, <laughs> in the wood shop and stuff. Um, so more of those would exist if I remembered who that was and could follow through. <laughs> Maybe I can ask Laura. Um, so I think the conversation was with her. Yeah. But yeah, it's just, and then I ask myself, like when we, when we, uh, when we do classes, we ask people to sign a, a photo release form so that we can mm-hmm. use their uh, images from the classes with them in right. it, um, in our on our website and social media, and, um, and so sometimes like we have to kind of check ourselves, being like, are we using too many photos of like just just the women of color or you know are are we really like being kind of misrepresentative uh, overcorrecting you know um maybe but I think that that speaks a lot and that actually can make a space feel safe for yeah more than just women of color you know uh, yeah other BIPOC people other um marginalized groups like seeing a space have that as a representation I think makes it seem like okay that's probably a safe space for me even if I don't identify like Mm -hmm. within that group that's true 
um, seeing pictures of people of color doing woodworking makes me feel more comfortable. Right. Um, even though I'm half white, um, half Chinese, like seeing a picture of a black woodworker is, is very comforting. Yes. <laughs> it makes yeah. me feel like I will be more welcome. Right. Um, and even as a person who owns a wood shop and feels very comfortable in this space and um, like, even I feel hesitant to do things like go to, I don't know, Lee Nielsen presentations for tools mm -hmm. and stuff. I'm like, I don't know, like, I don't really want to, it's a lot of energy, <laughs> right? Space that I assume is going to be full of white dudes. Yep. Um, and I have every right to be there and they probably want me to be there, <laughs> but it's still, it's just like a lot of, a lot of mental and emotional energy yeah. to deal with, um, what that feels like to yeah. be there. Yeah. I just had this conversation with somebody else on an interview before you today, which was, <laughs> um, like even talking about outside of the woodworking world, like basically any space that I enter into, I have to like take a beat and try to figure out, am I safe to reveal myself in this space? You know, am I safe to say wife? I don't know. Um, right. And that can be exhausting at times. Like, to juggle that and to your point like if it's not something that's required I'm more likely to just be like I ain't going because I don't want to have <laughs> like I just don't want to like deal with like what is that what could that potentially be like right um, you know so that's where I say like yes if I saw a picture to like your example of a Lee Nielsen like you know um exhibit type thing and in that picture was a, a black woman there participating I would feel like more comfortable <laughs> like yeah me too that space right um I'm I'm taking some some classes right now through UCLA extension on small business management and we had to do a profile on an entrepreneur that's um, not, not somebody super famous, mm -hmm. but maybe somebody in your industry. Um, and I, I decided to write one on Sarah marriage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, she started woo. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the questions in the assignment was like, what does this person see? What does this person understand that others mm -hmm. don't? And so I wrote like that she understands that in order to invite a new group of people into an industry, you have to create a new kind of space. You can't just ask them to fit inside what's or what already exists. You can't just say the words like you're invited mm -hmm. and, and have it be true suddenly. Um, I, I chuckle. Um and I'll probably get myself in trouble with this, but that's okay. It's my podcast. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, and I chuckle with the everybody's welcome here uh, 
line of thought um, because like pretty much every Christian church out there says everybody is welcome. (laughs) (laughs) And I know for a literal fact, (laughs) no, they're not. (laughs) Or we're welcome if we're willing to change or we're welcome. Right. Like a lot of conditionals after that statement. (laughs) So I think that tends to be a broader example of of what you were just talking about, recognizing Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, like people, I think everybody deserves a safe space and right. that safe space is going to look different for every group of people. Yeah, there's a lot of like asking other people to change, to right. to fit into this space that already exists. Like all you have to do is <laughs> is gain the confidence and show right. up all you have to do is ignore the trauma of, you know, the last several generations. Right. <laughs> um, and, and like, then it'll be, then you'll, you know, you'll be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, it'll be welcoming. You'll see, you just ignore all those experiences you had where it wasn't um, instead of really reflecting on, well, like what can, how can we change? <laughs> So, yeah, so that's something that we've, that I've been focusing on um, at Allied, like when we, how, how do, like, what can we do? What is reasonable for us to do? Because this is still, a, you know, it's my primary business and mm-hmm. I do have to figure out how to, how to make an income. Yes. Um, but you know, how, how can we change how we're representing our space or how we're actually acting in our space um, to make it actually welcoming and safe, not just saying that we are. Right. Yep. Excellent. Well, we are actually at the end of our, like, time together. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> though I'm sure we could keep talking about this subject. Um Right. There's no, there's no end to it. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, I do want to give you a chance to let people know how, you know, they can find you and and follow along with everything that you're up to. Sure. So um, our, the Allied website is www.alliedwoodshop.com and it's Allied, Mm -hmm. A-L-L-I-E-D. And our Instagram is the same. It's just um, at Allied Woodshop. I am at KT Woodworks. I think there's an S on the end of there. Um, can never actually remember. <laughs> um, and you can find my website and um, the others, the, uh, the bios of the other people on our team, like our amazing shop tech and our community coordinator and our residents and a lot of our instructors. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find their bios and links to their websites and social media on the Allied Woodshop website. Um, so if you're in the LA area, um, I would definitely encourage people to like send an email if they want to come visit the shop. It's our shop is not the easiest place to just kind of show up to because mm-hmm. um, we are on the 
10th floor of a, of a building in downtown Los Angeles. And, and my schedule is quite, is quite variable. Mm -hmm. um, so you don't know if anybody will actually be here. <laughs> uh, we don't have a phone number because we don't have a phone. Mm -hmm. um, so email is the best way to get in touch with us. I do try to check our Instagram messages um, occasionally, but sometimes I'll go like a whole week without even opening Instagram. <laughs> um, I will eventually get back to you, probably. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you're a woodworker in the LA area, you're interested in maybe like teaching some classes, doing some lectures, doing any sort of um, reaching out, you know, community building, we would love to hear from you. I, I think that that's the reason to own a community wood shop is to further the community. Mm -hmm. So, you know, let's get in contact. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Katie. Me too. <laughs> okay, Pod Squad. Again, that was Kirtan Tom, who is you know a woodworker and now the owner and runs the Allied Workshop in LA. I'll include the links on how you can follow along with her and Allied and see everything that they're up to in the show notes for today's episode. So. Where can you find those show notes, you may ask? Check the description in your podcast app. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, check the description box down below. And lastly, you can head on over to freemanfurnishings.com forward slash podcast and find today's episode along with all the previous episodes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure that you subscribe and hit that follow so you can get notifications when a new episode is released and head on over to iTunes, Spotify, leave a five-star review, let people know why you love the podcast so much. Head on over to Instagram and follow along at Crafting a Revolution and get a little bit more interaction there. And uh, when I am not interviewing amazing guests and producing podcast episodes, you can find me designing and making furniture and other home decor over at freemanfurnishings.com and at freemanfurnishings across all the social media platforms like Instagram and TikTok and YouTube and LinkedIn and Pinterest and I don't even know all of them, but I am active on a daily basis over on Instagram and close to daily on TikTok at freemanfurnishings on both. So come on over and say hi. It's the middle of the week. I hope you are having a great week so far. And as always, let's go craft a revolution.